Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. What a pleasure it is to have you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and it is that time of year, October, a time for spirits and ghouls and devils and ghosts and all the things that go bump in the night. And one of my favorite times of the year, one of the shop's favorite times of the year, I might add. It's a time of year to be scared, and what better way to be fearful than to uh, take in a good scary movie. And that is the theme of uh, this episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Grab your jack-o'-lantern-shaped bucket for some treats, and let's look at some devilish tricks with my favorite movies perfect for Halloween. Growing up, I always loved scary movies, although it was a love-hate relationship. I wanted to watch scary movies, but sometimes they scared the crap out of me, and I was left with many a sleepless night because of it. But uh, as an adult now, uh, there's not very many scary movies that, uh, that give me chills, but every once in a while on Halloween, the right scary movie can put a chill down the spine and make you look over your shoulder wondering who or what might be creeping up behind you. And I thought that would be a perfect way to talk about some of my favorite uh, Halloween style-based or just a good scary movie for Halloween. One of the ones I wanted to kick the episode off with, which I discovered this one uh, a little late, uh, maybe three years ago, but it's not that old of a movie. It's 2015's Tales of Halloween. I love a good anthology. I make no bones about that on this show. And this is one of those Halloween themed anthology movies that just it covers so many different ghouls aliens killers it takes place on a halloween night i love the idea that tales of halloween got right and bad candy did not get right they used a dj for a night radio show to kind of usher us through all the twisted uh, tales that that follow and in this movie adrian barbo who is no stranger to the world of horror of course the fog uh, swamp thing most recently she's done stuff like uh, creep show and and others just a, a fantastic actress and uh, just one of those uh, queens of horror that brings uh, a level of gravitas to any horror story and she plays a dj we never see her but we hear the radio broadcast and we see kind of a, a little animation of a map and and driving through town and uh, she kind of sets the table with all these twisted tales and there's some really great Halloween-themed stories in this movie. Of course, it all kicks off with Sweet Tooth, which was one of my favorites. It was a great way to kick off. you got this little kid, Mikey. He's just gone trick-or-treating. His parents are out, and his his big or babysitter and her boyfriend uh, watching movies, and they end up sending him to bed and eating all his candy, but not before telling about this urban legend of this murderous spirit sweet tooth that uh, roams the neighborhood looking for candy and lo and behold sweet tooth does show up kills the babysitter lizzie kills the boyfriend and essentially uh, leaves mikey unharmed and the parents come home and think mikey has done this uh, grotesque murder and it's it's gory it's gruesome it's scary uh the creature design of sweet tooth is is spooky and scary and it's just a, a fun way to uh, kick off this uh, anthology series. Of course, The Night Billy Raised Hell is another really good one on this. Uh, you got this kid uh, running around Billy and his friends playing pranks. Uh, they come across this gentleman's house, Mr. Abaddon, played by Barry Bostwick, uh, I might add, who, who does a fantastic job. Uh, again, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show for fame. He, he's no stranger to the, the spooky and the bizarre, but uh, he's essentially a demon. 
And he, for all intents and purposes, abducts Billy, takes him into his house. And then next thing you know, you see Mr. Abaddon and what we think is Billy. It's wearing Billy's red devil costume. But uh, we find out that it's not Billy. It's It's a little mini demon. And they go do all these horrible pranks to people around town. But there's a a twist at the end that is quite frightening. I've always talked about, uh, especially in the last uh, episode where we talked about the Halloween franchise and how, you know, in a lot of movies, kids aren't put in in real danger. You don't see kids being killed by the monster. They're in a little bit of danger. Uh, We get some close calls, some scares with the monster, but the kids never are killed by the monster. And and this one puts uh, Billy in right front and center in harm's way. It's quite disturbing when you really think about it. Uh, But there's some other really uh, great episodes uh, in this. Ding Dong's really good. Friday the 31st is uh, an interesting one. It actually kind of starts off really scary. It's almost like a ripoff of uh, Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th at the beginning. You've got this big serial killer, the slasher, uh, chasing a, a woman. And then all of a sudden, like an alien shows up. And it's a showdown between the uh, little claymation alien and the Jason Voorhees uh, style character. And it actually, uh, it it gets quite funny. It's it's one of those rare occurrences where you add horror and comedy, and it, and it kind of works. I'm not a big fan of that. I want my horror to be my horror. I want my comedy to be my comedy. I don't want to see the two uh, mesh together. But this, it's like the two sides of the same coin. You know, you've got this first half that's frightening horror, and then it turns into comedy poking fun a little bit at some of the little slasher films like the Friday the 13th. So it's really a, it's a fun episode and really kind of a, a nice comedic break from what we see. Uh, the next one that I really liked on it is uh, The Ransom of Rusty Rex, where these two thieves, one by, played by Sam Witwer, they kidnap the son of this millionaire and are going to hold him for ransom. And it turns out this kid isn't... The guy's son and he's a it's gonna take a lot more than a ransom to get rid of this little imp like creature and uh, it's creepy and bizarre it does have some elements of humor but it's not out of place it it doesn't take away from this isn't really a horror story this is more of a a bizarre tale that uh just uh, you know, kind of a there, but for the grace of God, go I sort of situation, and then uh, wrap up with the bad seed, and it's kind of like the pumpkin version, uh, and more horror than satire and comedy, but it's the pumpkin version of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. the The pumpkins are going to have their revenge, and it's just uh, a fun way to to end this. and And this really is uh, one of those movies that I will watch every Halloween. Uh, I've done it for the past. I don't know, three, four years now, but it's it's such a great mix of of fright, of horror, of gore, of fun, of comedy. It's just a, got a lot going for it. And uh, if you get a chance, this is really one of my favorite movies to watch during Halloween. And, and speaking of uh, another movie that uh, I just watched for the first time recently, it's one of those movies I've seen. I've seen it pop up from time to time on various streaming platforms, uh, but I never really took the time to watch it. And then I kept hearing good things about it. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a watch because I love anthologies and it's horror and I love horror films, especially around uh, October, around Halloween. That's that's perfect. But uh, Trick or Treat, uh, Michael, Michael Doherty and uh, producer Brian Singer uh, came out with this back in 2007. And it's one of those movies where I'm I'm disappointed with myself for having not watched it earlier. Because uh, it's just a, a fantastic anthology. It's a little bit darker. I mean, it does have some some bits of comedy, some little tongue-in-cheek jokes, um, but it, not so much that it takes you out of it, takes you out of the horror. Because it's it's a darker movie than Tales of Halloween, and it is just fantastic. I've 
watched this once within the past few months here, and I can't wait to watch it again. I've been I've been saving it to watch again for for Halloween because it's just uh, spectacular. Of course, you got a couple really standout episodes with the principal. Principal Steve Wilkins, uh, played by the brilliant Dylan Baker. I, I love when he shows up because he just has this uh, particular type of character that he plays. And, and I could see him being a high school principal. But he has a run-in with this character, Charlie, played by uh, Brett Kelly, who played uh, Thurman Merriman uh, in the Bad Santa movies. Uh, you can't miss this kid, but... Uh, but they have an altercation and uh, the Charlie character meets his untimely demise because we find out this principal is essentially a serial killer and teaching his kid to be a serial killer. And we meet Mr. Krieg, played by Brian Cox, the next door neighbor, which uh, that's one of the things I like about this because each story is separate from the others, but they're not self-contained. They all kind of bleed into one another. You've got different uh, characters showing up in, in other stories and it's about this town that, that really celebrates Halloween and and everybody's a part of this celebration right now and and of course you you go into a, a great werewolf story with I, I'm pretty sure this is a pre-true blood Anna Paquin that kind of ties into the uh, the principal Wilkins character uh, there's the Halloween school bus massacre about these kids trying to play um, play a prank on a girl who has special needs and she's the one that gets the last laugh on them as uh their prank is not so much an urban legend but an urban fact there's the episode sam with uh, mr krieg uh, making a return from the beginning of the film and uh, the kind of the through line for this is this character sam it's uh looks like a little kid running around he's wearing a like an orange jumpsuit and he's got a sack over his head and his head's oversized it almost looks like there's a pumpkin underneath the uh the sack and uh he's he's always there either causing mischief or observing the mischief uh more so observing he doesn't really get into it until the sam episode where it's kind of a showdown between him and and mr krieg and it's just you know we see the mask come off and see what what sam really is and of course sam you kind of get the the feeling that it's short for sam hain just a a brilliant character a great way to help tie the stories in together a little more with this with this character in some some regards maybe an instigator uh maybe he's bringing the bad vibes with him where he goes uh in some regards he's almost kind of an anti-hero uh it's just an interesting character that i wish and i'll, I'll talk about it here in a minute uh, but i wish we could have seen more of or could see more of in the future but then all the stories kind of tie together. All the stories are, like I said, pretty brutal and gruesome. You've got serial killers represented. You've got zombies represented. Uh, you've got werewolves represented. Uh, vampires even even make a representation because the uh, the principal Wilkins character part of his deal is uh, going around and posing as a vampire and that's how he kind of gets his comeuppance with Anna Paquin and the the werewolf storyline you've got the little demon like character of Sam it's just all the corners are covered uh, when it comes to all the things that are frightful in Halloween and that's what makes me love this this uh, anthology of uh, trick-or-treat and it was one of those things where they were going to do I think they wanted to do a sequel to this but it's just never come about. And I'm hoping that one day, maybe somewhere down the road, Michael Doherty will, will do a sequel to this. I think it'd be fantastic. I love this Sam character. I would like to see more, more of this character. I would like to see, uh, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a great way to add a creepy through line to the the different tales to, to help kind of weave them all together a, a little more than they already are. Uh, it's just a, it's a really great, fun and a horrific way uh, type movie, Trick or Treat. So if you haven't seen it, like I, I can't believe I waited all this time. I mean, this movie came out in 2007. It holds up very well. It doesn't feel dated at all. Not that 2007 is that long ago, but, you know, if you think about it, it kind of is a while ago. Check this out. Uh, it's so well worth 
your time to uh, to enjoy this, especially around Halloween. I think it's a perfect uh, time of year. I, of course, I could watch this any time of year. I did. I watched it a few months ago. We were still in the, the waning days of summer when I watched this. Uh, I could watch it any time of year, but especially this is one of those ones like Tales of Halloween. I'm going to watch this probably every Halloween. And speaking of movies I watch every Halloween or thereabouts, uh, you can't talk about Halloween movies or movies that are perfect for Halloween without talking about Halloween. Now, I'm not going to go too much into this because I just did an episode where I talked about all the different Halloween episodes in the Halloween franchise as we lead up to Halloween Kills coming out on the 15th. But I do want to talk about this just a little bit more because uh, that's one of the things I love about this movie is not that it's Michael Myers is a, a great serial killer slasher. Uh, when you think about all of the, the the look, the way Michael Myers carries himself, you know the actors, the way they portray him carrying himself, the very deliberate movement of the character. It's just a, a creepy slasher, a horror icon. But one of the things I love about this is the tie-in to Halloween. Because Halloween's, ever since I was a little kid, has always been one of, if not my favorite holiday. I love the idea of dressing up and I love the idea of being scared. And I love the idea that, you know, this is the time where we can celebrate all that's spooky and all that's scary and all that's the macabre. It's just a wonderful time of year. Uh, a time of year where we can set our inhibitions aside about what is uh, right for proper society and we can celebrate the things that uh, that really frighten the, the hell out of us. And to set a a movie in that time of year is just so brilliant. I can't believe nobody thought of it sooner because, you know, it was earlier in the 70s you had uh, Bob Clark with Black Christmas and doing a Christmas. And I know there's kind of a, a juxtaposition of the, the holiday versus the, the darkness of the movie. I get that. But you had, you know, horror movies about Christmas and, and nobody had really done one about Halloween yet. And that's uh, the simple brilliance of John Carpenter and what he did uh, for this franchise. And, and it's just such a, a fantastic movie to watch. It's so still and so quiet. And even though they filmed this in California and it's supposed to be in Haddonville, Illinois, it still kind of had that fall Halloween feel to it that you get. And that's that's one of the glorious things of living in the Midwest. I, of course, I live in uh, Northwest Pennsylvania. And when fall comes around, you get the changing of the leaves. You get all the leaves falling off the tree. Everything's uh, plant life is dying. And it just adds to such a uh, haunted and macabre feel to the holiday. And that's you still kind of got that. The, the leaves weren't changing on the trees in California. We'll just put it that way in that movie. But it's still... The way John Carpenter filmed it, it still felt like that time of year. And that's a, that was a, a brilliant thing. And one of the things I love uh, about this movie is just it feels like Halloween. It's not just named it, it feels like Halloween. So that, of course, kind of a no-brainer, an obvious way to celebrate Halloween than with the 1978 film Halloween. Definitely not the Rob Zombie. Please do yourself a favor, but... I won't jump on that soapbox right now. Uh, another movie in the Halloween franchise that is, I think, perfect for Halloween because not only does it embody Halloween, but like Tales of Halloween or Trick or Treat, it is about the Halloween season. So much so that uh, it, it even involves trick-or-treating and dressing up. It's Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. This, to me, uh, ever since I was a kid, like I said in my last episode, uh, this is the first Halloween movie that I actually rented and watched. Um, it wasn't a TV broadcast. And it's such a creepy, got a creepy vibe to it. From the, the cover of the VHS box, which was the the uh, marketing uh, movie poster with the hillside, and you've got that orange glow of sunset, and then you've got the silhouettes of these kids wearing these Halloween masks. And they've kind of stretched them and elongated them some. Uh, so they just look otherworldly and creepy and bizarre and... Uh, I know as a kid, when looking at that, I'm like, I just, you know, my mind went wild with what could 
be going on here? What's up with these kids? Are the kids the the bad guys? It's you know, there's it it leaves you wanting so many questions answered. And then when you get into the story, the idea that there's this Connell Cochran who is essentially a modern day witch or warlock, and he's trying to to use technology with these little microchips in the tags of these masks that he's selling, and uh, using technology mixed with old world witchcraft and each little micro trip has a a, a piece of stone from uh, one of the stones of stonehenge and yeah i know the stone that they have is so much bigger than the actual stonehenge stones but you know you gotta have some suspension of disbelief but uh just that that idea of, of mixing technology modern technology well, you know with the tv commercial that's supposed to activate this chip and the old world witchcraft it was a frightening thing as a kid and to think about it right now where t- Technology is so much more prevalent today uh, with everybody's cell phones and you know, devices and things like that. For, for a modern day version of something like that to be shown on the screen would be frightening as well because you don't have to sell a bunch of Halloween masks to do that. <laughs> you just have everybody's got their cell phone. And and the the idea behind that is, is so frightening. But the masks that they used, as a kid, I was like, I, I don't know if I would have bought one of those masks. Now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, I think those would be pretty cool. But uh, they're just uh, so such creepy. The witch, the uh, the skull, uh, the pumpkin head mask. Uh, there's something about creatures with pumpkin heads. Like the Sam character in Trick or Treat. Uh, just is, is terrifying to me. To see some creature with a pumpkin for a head, even if right now as an adult a full-grown adult i would pee my pants with fright because that is that's some scary stuff uh so you know it's such a great gimmick to make these masks that every kid has to have and use that as the vehicle for your ultimate sacrifice to whatever gods you're you're sacrificing all these kids to but to do it in such a creepy way to make these masks so grotesque looking that uh you know even little girls in ballerina or princess costumes got a witch mask on top of their head which they've i think i want to say one of the scenes of kids because they show scenes of kids all over the world with these masks on they've got these masks on and don't even match the suit you know you got a kid in a spider-man suit with a pumpkin head mask i don't know if that actually happened but it's it's kind of funny they they show the craze they show the commercialism there's so much going on with this movie uh that you can pick it apart and find some uh, metaphor or some allegory for for whatever you want but when it comes down to it the bottom line this is just a creepy ass halloween movie where kids are definitely in danger kids are being sacrificed and and that was probably one of the first things i ever watched where kids were targeted by bag and you know you saw friday the 13th you saw uh, michael myers michael myers wasn't killing little kids at least not in this uh in the the new one uh, Halloween 2018 he does but in Halloween 1978 he doesn't kill kids Jason Voorhees doesn't kill little kids it's always teenagers that are smoking pot or having sex you didn't have kids targeted and this was probably one of the first movies I, I really saw where kids were being targeted by the killer and that was a frightening thing and it's still kind of frightening as an adult to, to think of somebody and you know we have kids targeted in killings every day now it seems but still to see it in such a horrific way on the screen still a frightening thing so those are some of my my favorite halloween based movies of course you, you can't have halloween without some of the classic figures the iconic figures uh, of halloween like creatures and vampires and werewolves and demons and that sort of thing haunted houses and some of my favorite movies that kind of put those bills uh the the first one uh you know for talking creature features there's nothing better than a good scary creature feature uh for halloween of course probably one of the best creature features of all time is the thing from 1982 speaking of john carpenter 
I thought it was brilliant in Halloween 78, uh, where they're watching the 1951 The Thing from Another World, uh, the movie that The Thing is based off of, loosely, but it's based off of that. And then to see that John Carpenter and uh, just a few years later would be doing his own version of that film. But David Cronenberg is known for his body horror, but when you're talking about the creme de la creme, the cream of the crop, when it comes to body horror, I, you, you can't get much better than John Carpenter's The Thing because there is some great body horror. The creature design of, of this movie is just out of this world. Uh, no pun intended. And and the cast is really good, too. I mean, you've got Kurt Russell as R.J. McCready. You've got uh, Keith David as Childs, uh, Wilfred Brimley in it, David Clennon, Donald Moffat, T.K. Carter, uh, Richard Mauser, uh, just a, a lot of really great actors. And the whole idea that this, this creature can get inside of you, you not even know it, and mimic it you know mimics anything it touches and sometimes uh those th those things get mixed together and and this thing when it's changing can can look so horrifying i mean that's fantastic work frightening work this is the kind of this is the kind of creature design that nightmares are made of and probably what makes this such a, a scary movie is that uh, the creature design, it's left to the imagination as to how far it can go, as far as what this creature can turn into. And, uh, of course, one of the one of the best scenes uh, is when um, the head is on the floor and the legs come out and it starts walking around like a spider and the line, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Uh, one of the few things I liked in It Chapter 2 uh, the latest iteration of it uh, was when the head of Stan comes out of the fridge and then it grows arms and Bill Hader says that line, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And uh, that to me, one of the things I liked about the new it that didn't have anything to do with the horror, didn't have anything to do with um, any character or anything like that, but it was a, it was a fun little nod to uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, I, I like that for all the wrong reasons in, in that movie, but uh, but I did enjoy that. And of course, the ending is so bleak, where you've got Kurt Russell and Keith David kind of in this little standoff, neither one trusting that the other one doesn't have the thing inside of it. And are they going to get rescued? Is the fire going to die? And they're going to die. Uh, you don't know. Is the is the creature in either one of them, or are they just you know paranoid? I'd say there's a lot going on with this movie as far as you know metaphors and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's such a creepy movie. And, and speaking of creepy movies, another great creature feature that I love. I, I don't think it's set around Halloween, but it feels like it. It's 1988's movie Pumpkinhead, directed by none other than Stan Winston. Of course, Stan Winston, known for uh, such great creatures in, in horror and fantasy. And uh, maybe not the best job in directing, but the creature design of this character, Pumpkinhead, is just horrifying. It's about this guy whose kid is killed by accident. He goes to an old witch who summons this pumpkin head demon. It's not like a traditional pumpkin. It doesn't look like a jack-o'-lantern. If you haven't seen the movie, it's not like somebody has a jack-o'-lantern on their head, but uh, this demon will kill anyone it's supposed to kill. And if you aid or abet that person it's supposed to kill, you're going to get killed. If you get in its way, you're going to get killed. And it, it features a not a great cast, but Lance Hendrickson, who plays uh, Bishop in Aliens, plays this lead role, the father, Ed Harley. The movie also features a, I don't know if this is pre or post, but this is probably pre-Blossom, Mayim Bialik, uh, also pre-Jeopardy, Mayim Bialik. Uh, she's uh, she's in this as well, and it's it's a great movie. It's a movie that I think has a lot going for it. It has the horror, it has the the creepiness, it has that. Like I said, it does really kind of have a Halloween vibe to it, uh, but it also has a, a little heart to it. It's about death 
and forgiveness and redemption and and got some of those themes along that line. I think it's it's such a an underrated Halloween movie that it's one of those that I don't watch it every Halloween, but every Halloween it might come across a streaming platform or I might see it on TV and it's one of those that I sit down and I'm like, "Ah, I got to I got to check this out because it's uh, it's an it's an underrated film for my money. And something that really, I think, is the perfect kind of movie to watch uh, when you get to, to Halloween. And it, and it has such a, a dark ending to it because it's, it's like uh, the circle is complete sort of thing. Or maybe not complete, but the circle continues on. Uh, sort of scenario, which uh, which I always like that, and of course it left it open to to multiple uh, sequels. If if you don't like Pumpkinhead, you don't think the quality is there, well then the sequels probably aren't going to do you any good anyway. But but I enjoy 1988's Pumpkinhead. You know when you're talking about Halloween, you're talking about uh, one of my favorite creatures of uh of horror uh i dressed up as uh one for halloween many many years ago Uh, it's vampires and probably i mean there's a lot of really good vampires out there count dracula from 1977 i think is a really underrated one you got the nosferatu that classic uh, silent film you know, you had some come up later in the 90s with the Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. You know, as close as we come to a pretty good ab- adaptation of Bram Stoker's actual work. But for me and my money, and then there's also some other ones, you know, uh, Lost Boys. You can't you can't go bad with that. Or Fright Night is another really good uh, vampire movie, but for my money, one of my favorite vampire movies, and it wasn't even a movie per se, it's presented now as a movie, but uh, back in 1979 when this first came out, it was a two-part miniseries, I believe I believe it was just two parts, but Salem's Lot, I, I don't know what it is, I, maybe it's because it's based on a Stephen King book that I hold it in such esteem, because I really liked the book, even though the book was, slight, you know, it had some... Uh, variations from the movie, but you had uh, David Soul who plays the the main character, uh, Ben Mears. Uh, you had such great characters like Richard Straker, played by James Mason, uh, the young kid Mark Petrie, played by uh, Lance Kerwin. Just a, a lot of great characters played by a lot of great character actors. Maybe nobody that you know the name of, but they're uh, people that you've seen in other films and just uh, a really good cast. And the Barlow character was such a different take from the book. In the book, he plays, it's it's more of a stereotypical, handsome, you know, charming vampire, whereas in the movie, uh, Salem's Lot, I thought it was a really interesting idea for Toby Hooper, who, you know, he's he's done so much in horror. Uh, he directed this, and he went a different route. He decided to kind of go the, the Nosferatu-looking vampire route, the uh, the bald head, the pointy ears, the grayish skin, the instead of the uh, canines or the incisors even of the teeth being the fangs, it was the two front teeth as these fangs, and he didn't say a lot, and... It was just uh, creepy and otherworldly, and uh, that scene where the the preacher is trying to hold the cross out, and he it just has no effect on him because the the priest's faith isn't what he thinks it is. It's just uh, frightening stuff when when he changes uh, the Glick boy, and the one Glick boy is on uh, floating at at Mark Petrie's window, and it's all foggy outside, and he's kind of does a little scratch on it, and let me in. That's just so frightening and so haunting. And when they go to the Marsden house, the Marsden house was more of a character in the book. It didn't feel like that um, as much in the miniseries. Uh, I would have liked to have seen that more as a, a central focus uh, like it is in the book. And and they're doing a new version of Salem's Lot. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out. They're kind of leaking different casting choices. Uh, it, it could be either really good or it could be really bad. I mean, that's kind of the way it's been with with Stephen King adaptations recently with its chapter one and two. There's a lot of good points, a lot of really bad points. Pet Cemetery is another one where there were 
there were a lot of bad points and maybe a few good points. I liked a couple of the casting decisions, but that was about it. That to me, that movie was an abomination of the of the book. But anyway, we who knows what we're going to get with this new adaptation of Salem's Lot. But I really like the 1979 Salem's Lot because I think it just it's it's not your typical vampire movie because in so many vampire movies the vampire dracula whoever is this charming uh well-dressed man of the world and he's seducing everyone into letting him drink their blood uh, whereas this he's more of a monster and and to me that and the whole feel of this miniseries, this movie, uh, kind of has that feel of Halloween, that haunted feeling, that cold, somebody walking on your grave feeling about it. And that's why I love this movie any time of year, really. Uh, but Halloween in particular, uh, because it's so, you know, the Mark Petrie character so much like I felt, you know, I loved horror and I loved monsters and I loved scary movies, even though that scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved being scared. And and that's the feel you have with this uh, Salem's Lot. So definitely one of my favorites to watch during uh, the Halloween season, during the month of October. Uh, another one is werewolves. You can't have Halloween. You can't talk horror without talking werewolves. And there's a lot of good werewolf movies out there. There's a lot of bad ones as well, but there are a lot of good ones. Of course, you can't go wrong with things like American Werewolf in London. That's kind of classic. But one of the movies I really love, and it doesn't really focus on October and Halloween as much as one would think. I mean, it's kind of set in the fall, at least in one point in the movie, but Silver Bullet. Again, based on another Stephen King called a graphic novel, Cycle of the Werewolf. They kind of took one of the stories out of that and expanded it. And you really uh, get to enjoy all the things that are good about a werewolf movie in this. Uh, you know, strange preacher comes to town. He's got secrets. And it's just got so much so much great horror to it the special effects the creature feature design on the werewolf not the best but not the worst certainly and the way this this wolf is terrorizing this town and they use a lot of pov uh, shots which it, it, it's smart you never get a really good look at the werewolf until closer to the end which is always smart for any horror movie whether you've got good special effects or you've got poor special effects you don't want to play your hand too early then it doesn't become scary when you see the the creature all the time and you get to look for the flaws and you get to look for the things that that make it not so scary this movie does it right you get glimpses of it and it kind of plays off the the old boy who cried wolf. You've got this kid, Marty, who's uh, constantly telling people that he thinks this preacher is a, a werewolf and and nobody believes him. And, and he actually is. And then you've got this uncle who, in spite of all of his best intentions, in spite of all of his you know better reason, uh, decides to to believe this kid enough that he makes the silver bullet and and we see how things play out but it, it's such a great movie it's it's not it doesn't take itself too serious but it also plays a lot on horror and suspense and all the all the great things that uh, you want in a horror movie and you'll want in a movie uh, that you're watching during the month of Halloween uh, you know that's to me October is the month of Halloween I know that's become kind of a catchphrase this year with so many streaming platforms and television stations cable channels that are playing scary movies all month long but to me october has always been the month of halloween even from when i was a little kid and this is the perfect movie silver bullet based off the uh, the stephen king uh, cycle of a werewolf uh, graphic novel perfect perfect for this time of year another really great werewolf movie that i loved it's not uh, a big budget feature but I was turned on to this movie here a few years back, and it's from 2014. It's called Late Phases. 
uh, and stars Nick Dimitri as Ambrose McKinley. Ethan Embry plays his son, Will, and he's taken his father to live in a retirement community. His father's a blind vet, and he's got this, this dog, this German Shepherd that's kind of his uh, seeing-eye dog. Ambrose McKinley doesn't want to move here. He doesn't want to... Uh, you know, he's kind of got a, he's kind of a hard case, kind of got a bad attitude and he moves us to the retirement community and everybody likes him at first. And then they realize how much of a hard ass he is. And he, he becomes kind of the odd man out. And it, it turns out that somebody's a werewolf in this community and he's a blind man. Uh, he's got the skills. He's a vet. He's a soldier. You know, he, he knows how to take care of business, but, but he's blind and it's just, it's such a great film in seeing somebody with a, a disability doing what they have to do to survive. And it's its one of those movies where it's got a lot going for it. Um, it's got heart. It's got the, the strained relationship between Will and Ambrose. It's got that, that sense of being alone, being the outsider, being the guy that... Nobody wants to be around because you don't want anyone around and not because you, you want to, but because you just, you're just tired of the tired of the world, tired of life, uh, that sort of thing. It's a story about redemption. It's a story about forgiveness. Kind of, kind of like we were talking about with, uh, uh, one of the other ones earlier, and it's just uh, a good movie. Uh, the special effects aren't great, but they're a lot better than I thought they were going to be when I first started this movie. And uh, Nick Dimitri, uh does a, a fantastic job of of portraying this blind vet who is, like I said, taking care of business the only way he knows how. And uh, there's a, a, a very touching scene, a, a tearjerker of a scene at the end. It's got a lot of heart and it's got a lot of horror. And I really like this movie. It's a movie I don't get to see often enough because uh, I don't believe it's on any. I haven't seen it on any streaming platforms. I think last I watched it on Netflix. But it's a movie that if I come across it again, I'd love to watch it again. Because uh, it's it's a really good, different take on a werewolf movie. And one that I've really enjoyed. And of course, you can't get through uh, Halloween without talking about witches. And uh, one of my favorite movies, it's more of a, a new film favorite of mine it came out in 2015 i i saw it on netflix for the longest time and i was like i had it in my list of things i wanted to watch but i just never took the time to watch it until one day i'm like okay i'm gonna sit down i've heard a lot of good things about this robert eggers the witch stars uh anya taylor joy as this kind of puritan girl set in the 1630s her father has moved her and her family they're kind of they're kind of the town pariahs. Uh, they're banished from their Puritan colony because of a religious dispute. The father's just trying to keep the family together, to provide for the family. The mother has a strained relationship with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, Thomason, her character. And you've got these two... I can't remember if they're supposed to be twins or very close in age kids and a, a baby. The baby disappears and it's Thomason's fault because she was supposed to be watching her. It's just so haunting. And it's set in a time and a time of year when everything is so haunting. I don't, again, I don't know if this is supposed to be set around Halloween, but it kind of feels like fall. You get to watch the family fall apart and be torn apart. And you find out these two twins are part of the reason why this family's falling apart uh, because of the black goat, Peter. I think its name is Peter. It's a haunting movie. It's a frightening movie when the, the family, like I said, when the family starts to fall apart and all these things start to happen. And then you have the reveal at the end with the devil and Thomason uh, goes into the woods and all those, uh, the naked old ladies, the naked witches are out there and they all kind of rise up floating. It's just so chilling that uh, it, this movie exceeded any expectation I had. And yeah, there's a lot of fun witch movies out there and there's a lot of spooky, creepy witch movies, but this one did witches in such a way that made them horrifying. 
and probably one of the reasons I I enjoyed it so. And, and the two little kids, Mercy and Jonas, uh, just creepy little kids. I, I don't think they were meaning for them to be creepy. They were just letting them be themselves. But the lines of dialogue and their interactions with this uh, with this goat and and the interactions with uh, Thomason and just uh, they came across as creepy little kids. And and you know any time of year. Uh, creepy little kids uh, spook me, but this is, I think, probably one of the more horrifying of of any of these movies we've talked about, just because of the uh, the stakes and the way the family. Like I said, that that dismantling of the family is always something that can be used in horror in such a, a chilling way because the family's supposed to be that rock, that bond, poltergeist. You know, it was the family unit that defeated the uh, the poltergeist or the uh, from Poltergeist 2, uh, the old country preacher. But family's supposed to be the rock. Family's supposed to be the power. Family unit's supposed to be able to defeat that love, supposed to defeat all evil. And when that gets torn apart, that's when all things, uh, the crap hits the fan. They did that so well in this movie. And speaking of family units falling apart, again, uh, Halloween is the perfect time for a haunted house story. Uh, one of my favorite things, especially in, in my teenage years, was going to haunted houses or haunted trails. I, I, I wanted this crap scared out of me. I, I'm, I'm pretty tough to scare, but I was always looking for that perfect haunted house that was gonna that was going to really give me chills. It never really happened. Uh, but uh, I, I love a good haunted house story. I've actually got some personal haunted house stories. We're going to do an episode uh, once we get closer to Halloween proper of some of my personal ghost story experiences that uh, that I've gone through. But uh, haunted house stories are always good for for any time of year. Like I said, uh, I hate to sound like a broken record on that, but Halloween time. Uh, you know, Halloween is the time for for hauntings and ghosts and a haunted house is the perfect representation of that. And there's so many really good ones out there. You get those movies like uh, the conjuring, you know, sinister insidious things of that nature, you know, that all kind of have that haunted house feel to them. If it's not an actual haunted house, but for my money, uh, when it comes to a haunted house story, they don't get any better than 1979's the Amityville horror. Now, I know a lot have probably seen the the more recent version with Ryan Reynolds. I'm a huge Ryan Reynolds fan, but I just did not care for the, the newer version of the Amityville Horror. I don't know what it was about it that I just didn't enjoy. When they come out in 2005, much like I didn't enjoy any of the sequels to the Amityville Horror. Uh, but the Amityville Horror, supposedly based on a true story of the Lutz family. Now, I know there have been, there's so many contradicting stories between family members, both current and deceased, as to whether this actually happened or not. But whatever happened, whatever didn't happen in the actual story, the story that they told, that the book that came out in 77 uh, of the same name, it was the stuff made for a great horror film. Of course, James Brolin had the leading role of uh, George Lutz, uh, Margot Kidder of uh, Lois Lane Superman fame. She played uh, Kathy Lutz, the two main protagonists of this movie. And we get to see what this family went through as they move into this new house. The house uh, is sold on the cheap, and there has to be a reason. They find out that the previous owner, the son... Uh, got possessed, so to speak, and murdered his family with a shotgun. And nobody wants to buy this house. And they finally buy it, and they start experiencing uh, hauntings. And, and just some of the things that that they portrayed in this movie, the priest coming in to bless the place, with the flies and the, the voice in the house, get out. That's become such a, a horror icon, <laughs> you know, being in a house and somebody, you know, some disembodied voice yelling get out 
we're telling you to get out. I mean, we've seen that in so many different uh, parodies and satires and even actual movies that, you know, it's become part of the, the horror lexicon. The one scene where I can't remember if it's Margot Kidder or James Brolin, but they're in the kid's room and they look out. It's dark outside and they look out the window and you see these two eyes flash. And this is like from the second story that that gives me chills to this day. Now, there's a scene where I believe George Lutz, the James Brolin character, is outside and he looks up in that window and sees like some sort of big pig face. That's not so scary, but uh, the the walls oozing blood or black ooze or whatever it's supposed to be, uh, that that's so frightening. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, I would hear tales of this, uh, people telling me about this movie and, and just... Uh, that sort of thing just scared the bejesus out of me. And it's such a, a horrific uh, movie, not just because of all the horrific things that happen, but there again, that family starts to break down. Of course, they end up coming together at the end to to at least get out of there intact as a family. But uh, the family starts to break down. You know, George Lutz uh, starts looking more and more like the uh, the kid that, that killed his family that lived there previously and and starts acting out in violent ways and and so many horrific things happen to to the Kathy Lotz character and and it just it's a it's a scary scary movie and you know for for any younger listeners out there don't let the fact that it's made in 1979 scare you away i mean it doesn't have big budget cg effects but the the effects they did were practical and they're are chilling at times uh if you go into it with the right mind frame i mean you can't go into it with the screen mind frame this is such a, a fantastic uh movie to to really play off that fear of ghosts that fear of spirits that fear of demons and and how they can infest a house and probably one of those movies that probably chills me just as much today as it did the first time i saw it so uh i encourage everyone to uh, to check it out and enjoy the amityville horror and that really kind of wraps up uh some of the movies that i love uh around halloween the month of october we're almost halfway through October, and I've only watched a couple of these, so I've got to I've got to double down and and get back into it. And uh, so I'm gonna go uh, check out some of these movies, and I encourage you to. And you know, it's, who knows? Uh, maybe next year we'll do this again. Talk about some more great movies for Halloween. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, and hopefully, whatever you movies you watch to uh, put you in the Halloween spirit. Uh, hopefully, they frighten you and horrify you and scare you in all the best ways so please uh check out our facebook page odds bodkins curiosity shop on facebook of course you can find these uh these podcast episodes there you can also find uh, trailers and articles i'm always scouring the internet trying to find interesting things in the world of horror fantasy and sci-fi that will interest you some of the things we're going to talk about on the show some things we won't really have time to but uh, a lot of great stuff out there and i'm trying to share as much of like as I can with you on the uh, Facebook page and leave a review, please. Five stars would be awesome, but, uh, but leave a review and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next uh, third this coming Thursday. We're going to do another episode similar to this. Of course, I'm a DJ by trade. I spent a lot of years in radio, so I love music. I love rock and roll. And we're going to talk about some great music to haunt by, some great scary rock and roll that uh, will get you in the Halloween spirit. So that's coming up on Thursday. So until then... Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!